This week's reading for the second Sunday after Pentecost comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then Jesus and the disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on the land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? The man said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back to the abyss. Now, there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. If you can see kind of behind me, you notice things might look a little bit out of the ordinary and that there's a couple of chairs sitting up behind me. And they're here for a reason. Now, the first chair I want to point out is this one. Folding chair. Very portable. Can fold up and lean against a wall. Can be stuck and stored in very small places. Handy for places like churches where sometimes you have to move things around and seat a lot of different people. If you were to sit in this folding chair, it's not overly comfortable. I mean, you could sit here and it, it'll work, but it's not ideal. If it's your only option, I guess, oh well. And if you sit in it long enough, you'd probably get used to it. And you'd be like, well, okay, it's not spectacular, but here's the chair. I guess that's my option. But then there's another chair over here, this one. If you look at this chair, you can see it's an office chair. In fact, this is my office chair. Normally it sits in my office on the far side of the camera. I like this chair a lot. It's got nice cushions. You can see it leans. It's got some mobility. It'll spin. That can be fun. Sometimes when my brain is kind of going strange, I'll, I'll sit in it and spin around. I can put my feet up if I felt like it. It's adjustable. It'll go up and down. It's on wheels, so it'll move around. I like this chair. This chair is great. And if I had the option between that chair and this chair, this is the one I'm going to choose every time. That one, well, you might get used to it, but this one's just nice. And it's so much more comfortable. It's so much more accommodating. It's just nice. One chair, another chair. It'll work if that's the only option. This one's a whole lot nicer. 
I want you to take that idea and tuck it away. I'll come back to the chairs after a while. Here we have a story of Jesus leaving Jewish territory where we're at in the overarching gospel. He's already been moving around. This is fairly early on in his ministry, but he's beginning to make a name for himself. People are beginning to understand him as a teacher and as a healer, as a man of God. But in this moment, Jesus and his disciples, they leave Jewish territory and they go into the Gentile territory, which basically just means area that's, that's not Jewish culture. And as they step out of the boat, they encounter this man. This man who is tormented by demons. For many, many years, it seems, this man has been tormented by demons. And I feel for this guy. We hear that he has to live out in the tombs. He lives in a graveyard. He's not able to be in the city or in the community. We hear that he, he won't keep clothes on because these demons, they drive him so wild. We hear that he's got broken shackles and chains that drag behind him because the people have tried to restrain him over the years. They've tried to chain him up to keep him contained, perhaps also even to try and attempt to have him to protect him from himself. But he breaks the chains because of the power of these demons that enter into him. And the moment that this man, this, this demoniac, encounters Jesus, the demons recognize Jesus, the son of the most high God, and they are scared. They recognize the power that Jesus possesses, that Jesus has authority over them, and they beg him, what have you to do with us? Do not send us into the abyss. And it seems that Jesus commands the demons to come out of them, and we see the turmoil that this man is in, what he has encountered, what he has experienced, and now Jesus seems to be taking notice and doing something about it. Now, we have different times when Jesus casts out demons, and or performs other types of healings. And we see it goes many different ways. Sometimes Jesus just speaks the word. Sometimes he, he seems to do some, something a little bit performative in his actions. Sometimes he seemingly just snaps his fingers and it happens. But this time, it seems that there's some tension and it doesn't work quite right. It doesn't quite work right away. And so he asks, what is your name? And the demon says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Well, a legion is a huge, huge number of troops, so we can only imagine how many demons have taken possession of this man. Again, they recognize Jesus' power over them, and they beg him, do not send us into the abyss. And there's this herd of pigs, of swine, that are off on the side, probably an enormous amount of, of animals, and this would be a huge economic thing for that community, for this region, because those are that's livestock for them. And the demons say, let us go into the pigs, and Jesus gives them permission, and they enter into the pigs, and well, it doesn't end very well for the pigs, because they go a little bit a little bit wild and they run off into the sea and they're drowned. So, you know, whatever was going on with the demons, it seems that they're sent into the abyss anyway. But this happens. And this terrifies the people who are tasked with taking care of the, the swine, of the pigs. So they run off and they start gathering people, probably telling them what has happened. And people begin to gather. Now, in the time that it takes for the people to gather back up, Jesus' attention is still on the man still on him. He has freed him from the situation that he was in. We hear that he puts clothes back on. He's in his right mind. And when everyone else shows up, they find him calm and clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they are terrified. They're so scared of what's going on. They seemingly can't wrap their head around it. And so they beg Jesus to leave. 
They want him to go away. They just can't handle it. Now, the man wants to stay with Jesus. He wants to remain with the one who has freed him, who has brought him back into this this better existence than that which he had previously been experiencing. But Jesus, strangely enough, won't let him follow along. He says, no, go home. Proclaim to everyone what God has done for you, and that is what the man does. This is an interesting story. A very, very odd story. And there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of details that are listed. But if you're anything like me, you also, your brain begins to speculate and try and fill in some of the blanks of the things that we don't read, that we don't hear in the passage. Now, earlier this week, I met with a group of fellow pastors. This is a common thing for me. We do this pretty much every week. And we talk about this text. And we were doing that very thing. We were speculating about this idea and about this possibility. And what about the background here? And what about the folks over here? And what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? All of these things that we were wondering about, and I think this is human tendency to do. But then one of the, my fellow pastors made a point that I really, really appreciated. She said, Maybe we don't need to worry about the details that we don't have and focus back in on what we do. What is Jesus' intention? And what does Jesus do? Jesus focuses in on the man. He encounters this man tormented by demons, and Jesus will not leave him in that reality. Now, that man's reality, that's something that we can identify just a little bit. Remember, he's been chained by people who have tried to control him. He's broken the chains because they can't control him. He's too wild. He can't keep clothing on. So he lives as an animal among the tombs. And it seems to me that the people who were aware of his condition have tried to make the best that they can given the circumstances. So they kind of put him out of sight out of mind. He's off in the tombs. He's not hurting anyone else. We don't know what he's doing for himself, but that's the best that we can manage. And so maybe we'll just kind of get used to that and we'll leave him with that. That's the only option that we have. I almost tripped just a little bit. That's the only option. I guess it'll work, but it's not really ideal. Jesus refuses to leave the man in that state. And he does what is necessary to free him to bring him back into a good existence, to get rid of that which is tormenting him, that is the demons. Jesus gets rid of the demons. And I can only imagine for that man now, having experienced this, now to sit in this chair, to be in this moment, wow, this is great. This is so good. I don't want to leave that. And we see this in what the man does and says, Jesus, let me remain with you. He wants to stay in that good chair. Who can blame him? But what's interesting is the other people that are involved. They were so used to the status quo. They were so used to this chair of the man. He's out of sight, out of mind. We don't like it, but that's the best we can manage. And we've learned to live with it. That now when something challenges that status quo, challenges that which they have grown used to, grown accustomed to, and perhaps have just thought this is the way it's always going to be, when something pushes back against that and overcomes it, challenges it, helps at that situation to start to move forward, they seemingly can't handle it. And I can't help but think that that's something that's very, very common in our world today. 
and it's common in many of our organizations and many of our communities, probably in many of our churches. This idea that we have grown so accustomed to this is the way it is, even if it's not ideal, maybe that's good enough. Maybe that's just the way it is, and we're just going to deal with that. We don't like it, but that we don't know what else to do. And it's scary to try and move forward into the good chair that might lie beyond it. It's something that I think we need to be aware of, that we have a God that is not content to leave us stuck in the status quo, that is not content to leave us in something that we can live with it. God desires that which is good for us to sit in the good chair, to be in this moment. But are we ready to follow? And now here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I want to point out. We have two chairs. And we have two parts of this story that we've already talked about. The man and the community were in the status quo. It wasn't great, but I guess it'll work. Jesus brings the man over here into something that could be better, tries to bring the people with him as well, but they're not having it. And so when the man desires to stay in that which is good, he desires to stay with Jesus, the one who has freed him. Jesus says no, and Jesus sends him home, back out among the people to proclaim the good news, to proclaim what has happened, to proclaim his experience and bring that to their attention of what God is up to in the world. There's one more chair, folks. On a Sunday morning, if you happen to be here when we were gathered for worship, I don't sit up here and these two chairs aren't here. In the moments when I'm not standing in the front, I am sitting out on the opposite side of that camera in one of the pews among the people. Because I believe that God has sent me and has called me into this place to proclaim the ways that I see God active in the world and to be among those people to help them see it as well. And I also believe that we are all called to do the same thing. Jesus will not leave us here broken and hindered. And Jesus frees us from that and it is wonderful and it is good. And there are times when we want to just stay there in that moment, in that situation, but God sends us back out among the people to live our lives together in a way that reveals that which God is up to. May we be emboldened to live out that calling, to know we move from one to the next and on to the next again. Amen.